Well, good morning. And it is good to see you guys today. What a great group. Looking great. Enjoying your summer? Well, let me tell you, it's about half over. So, you know, that may be good news to a lot of you. But uh, we're glad you're here today. we got a great message for you today. We're in a series in the book of Daniel, looking at the life of the prophet Daniel. Specifically, we're looking at the test that Daniel faced. Because the tests that Daniel the prophet faced are the same tests that you and I face in our life. And if we can learn to pass those tests the way Daniel passed those tests, then our lives can become unshakable. And that's our goal today. So today, we're going to be looking at when you're asked to do the impossible. Have you ever had a boss, maybe a family member, even a friend, come and say, I'd like you to do something for me? And you say, sure, I'll do it. And then they ask you to do something impossible. They ask you to do something that you don't have the time, the money, the resources, the ability, the talent, the experience to do. It's impossible. That's what happens in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar asked his advisors to do something that prompts them to say to him, nobody can do what you ask. What you're asking is impossible. What do you do when you're asked to do the impossible? That's what we're going to look at today. And the story in Daniel chapter 2 goes like this. It's the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and he has this recurring dream that frightens him so badly that he can't sleep. And so he calls in all of his magicians and psychics and fortune tellers and astrologers, and he demands that they tell him what he dreamt. Now, the Babylonian culture is based on the occult. And the advisors to the king are mediums, necromancers, uh, sorcerers, magicians, astrologers, not astronomers. Astronomy is a legitimate science. Astrology is based on a fake religion. So Nebuchadnezzar brings in these advisors and he says, I keep having this dream that troubles me. Tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what the dream means. And the astrologers said, well, okay, tell us what the dream is, and we'll tell you what it means. King said, no, 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 no. No, you tell me what the dream, if you can't tell me what I dreamt, how can I trust your interpretation of it? So if you can't tell me what I dreamed, then you're a bunch of fakes with no real power, no real wisdom. And the fortune tellers push back on that. They say, nobody anywhere can do what you ask, and no king has ever asked his magicians and medians and astrologers to do this. What you're asking us to do is impossible. And that makes Nebuchadnezzar furious. And he says, I'm dead serious. If you can't tell me what my dream was, I'm going to have every one of you tortured and executed, and I'm going to destroy your homes. I mean, this is a crisis situation. And the guy's threatening to assassinate his entire court of advisors because they can't tell him what he dreamed. Advisors begged, just tell us your dream and we'll interpret it. King said, no. No, you're condemned as worthless. And then he issued the decree to execute all of his royal advisors, including Daniel and his three friends. That's the situation that we're faced with in chapter 2. Now, before we get into how Daniel handled the impossible situation, I want to talk to you about this issue of astrologers and psychics and palm reading and horoscopes and fortune cookies and all, and all that junk. <laughs> Trying to predict the future. 
and what God says about trying to predict the future. Because there's something in us in human nature that makes us want to know this. And you, you need to know, I'm afraid we've lost this in the church today, even in our church. Number one is, uh, God tells us no one knows the future except God. No one knows the future except God. No psychic, no fortune teller, no medium, no astrologer. Anybody tells you they know the future, they're lying. Ecclesiastes 8, 7 says, no one can tell the future. And you may say, yeah, but I know this guy, or I read this book, or I saw this guy on TV. Or You, know, you really want to argue with God about this? I mean, God says nobody can do it. And honestly, you start researching this in Scripture, and there are probably 50 verses that tell you that this stuff is bogus, it's a fraud, it's evil, in fact. The devil uses it to throw people off base. Ecclesiastes 10, 14, fools claim to know the future and love to tell anybody who listens, but no one knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows but God. Second point you need to know is all psychics and mediums are frauds and fakes. And that's not my opinion. God's the one who said it. Isaiah 44, 25, God says, I make fools of psychics and fortune tellers and I frustrate the predictions of astrologers. Their wisdom is foolishness. Leviticus 19.31, do not defile yourselves by turning to mediums or to those who consult the spirits of the dead. I am the Lord your God. He says, don't go to these people because you're going to defile yourself. Leviticus 26, I am against anyone who goes to mediums or fortune tellers for advice because that person is being unfaithful to me. I will cut him off. I mean, this is serious, serious stuff. And I just want to warn you, it's your pastor who loves you. I just want to warn you, stay away from this stuff. Don't be reading your horoscope. Don't be, you know, I mean, just don't be doing this stuff. Don't be trying to talk to some dead relative. Don't be using Ouija boards. Don't be, just stay away. God doesn't want you touching this stuff with a 50-foot pole. And the devil loves to use it to throw you off base. And it's a counterfeit, and it looks real. It looks real enough that the most powerful man in the world, Nebuchadnezzar, had staffed his court with these people. That's how real it looked until he found out that it really wasn't. So please, please be very careful. Third thing you need to know is the test of a true prophet of God is 100% accuracy. Deuteronomy 18.21, God says, You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Okay? It's got to be 100% accurate. Not 50%, not 90%, not 99.99. No. One, one mistake and you're not, you're not a prophet of God, you're out. And actually in Scripture it says if that happens, you're supposed to stone them. <laughs> you don't get to fool around with this. Isaiah 8.20 says, look to God's instructions and teachings. Check it out according to God's word. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. And so I just want you to, you know, the future, in our day and age, the future is scary. But only God knows the future. And, and God wants you to trust in him. Not be defiled by some psychic, some horoscope, some, some fraud. So please, just stay away from that stuff. Look to the Lord your God. For your hope. Now Nebuchadnezzar, he's got this disturbing nightmare that's coming over and over, and so he calls in his occult advisors. He says, tell me what my dream was and tell me what it meant. They can't do it. He says, I'm going to kill you all. 
And that's when Daniel intervenes. Daniel says, I'm going to take a shot at this. I'm going to ask the God of heaven to reveal to me what this guy dreamt and what it meant in order to save myself, my friends, and even these, these unbelieving advisors. Now, what we're going to look at today is not so much Nebuchadnezzar's dream and what it meant. That's an important part of Scripture, but people come to this passage and they get focused on that, on the prophetic element of it, and then they miss what really applies to, to your life. Because frankly, Nebuchadnezzar's dream is not about you, and it really doesn't have much impact on you. It's his dream and it's his issue. But there is there's a tremendous lesson we can learn from Daniel about how to face an impossible situation. And so we're going to look at the eight things that Daniel did when he's asked to do the impossible. So that when your boss, when your government, when your spouse, when your parents ask you to do something impossible, they ask you to do something that you don't know how to do, you don't have the time, the money, the resources, the wisdom, whatever, you can do these eight things and it'll chart a pathway through you for it. So what do you do when you're asked to do the impossible? On your notes, on the screen, number one, don't panic or be afraid. Uh, you know, in Daniel's case, he has a legitimate reason to be worried. I mean, if the king sent somebody to execute you, to execute me, I'd probably panic, okay? But Daniel doesn't. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, <laughs> came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Didn't panic and he wasn't afraid. What is it that has you panicked today? What impossible situation is bearing down on your life? Some job opportunity, some project, some family problem, a financial situation, your marriage, your kids. What, what is it? Don't panic and be afraid. Number two, you want to ask why. And it's not the, why is this happening to me? No, it's asking, why do you want this done? What's the motivation for asking me to do the impossible? You've got to get the facts. You've got to get the motivation behind this. Especially if there's emotion involved. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he's got all this fear. He's got all this fury that's driving him. I mean, it's just a nightmare that's got him scared to death. And when people are panicked, when they're in crisis, they get emotional and they get irrational. And they start making irrational demands on other people. And when your boss comes in, he or she comes in, and they're asking you to do something impossible, there's probably somebody asking them to do the impossible. Because when the heat's on them, they spread it around. Okay? And so you want to find out, what, what, why? What's going on here? What's the real situation? Daniel asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. And now Daniel, now Daniel knows the situation. Now he knows what's going on. Proverbs tells us to get the facts at any price. Because you don't want to make a major decision without the facts. You don't make major business decisions based on fear and fury. You want to make them on, on facts. So why do you want me to do this? What is it that you want me to do? What's the reason behind this? And then number three. In that moment, then you want to ask for time to create a solution. And you, rather than just immediately going to work, you know, in a crisis, the greatest temptation is to respond impulsively, to respond emotionally, immediately. And, and, and when you do that, you're not thinking logically or rationally. You, know, you, you, you want to make the decision uh, based on facts, not, not just fast. 
you know, the, the right decision is better than a fast decision. A wrong decision is a wrong decision, no matter how fast you make it. So you're facing an impossible situation. You just want, whoa, 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 let's step back, take a breath, take a moment here to figure out a, a creative solution. Daniel went at once, circle that phrase, at once to see the king and requested more time so he could tell the king what the dream meant. See, there's a balance on this time thing here. I want you to circle the phrase at once and more time and draw a line between those two. Because there's something that you've got to do at once. You can't put it off. You can't procrastinate. And that is you've got, you've got to ask for more time. And you don't ask for more time so you can procrastinate. <laughs> you know, give me more time to put this off. No, you, you ask for more time in order to come up with a creative solution. And so I, I just would ask you, what are you procrastinating about that you know you need to do? You've got this impossible situation that's percolating up in your life. What have you been putting off? What is it in your marriage that you haven't dealt with that you know you need to? What is it in your job that you haven't dealt with that you know you need to? What's that habit, that activity, that thing you just have never dealt with in your life that you need to? And, and you've got to stop. Procrastination only makes these things worse. Well, you know, we've got this saying, and honestly, it's a myth, that time heals all wounds. Let me tell you something. Time doesn't heal a wound. It's not time that heals a wound. It's the process of healing that heals the wound. It just takes time. Okay? But if you're not doing the right stuff to, to affect the process of healing, time doesn't heal a wound. Time makes it worse. Time makes it fester. And so don't fall into the trap of thinking, if I just procrastinate, then, then this is going to get better. No, no, no. You need, to, you need to go at once and start coming up with a creative solution. So the purpose of, of asking for more time is not procrastination. The purpose of asking for more time is so you can do step number four. And that's where you enlist prayer support from your friends. Okay? Daniel knows he's going to be praying about this a lot. In fact, it tells us he stays up all night praying. So Daniel, Daniel's praying in this, but he also knows that the impossible was bigger than him. And so he's recruiting his friends. He gets some prayer support to help him. Then Daniel went home, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. Daniel's recognizing, you know what, I'm not the only guy in this, in this situation. And God may speak to me, but he also might speak to these guys. Same thing's true in your impossible situation. God might speak to you, but God might speak to one of your friends who's praying for you about it. And so you, you, know, you want to spread this around. And you find yourself in an impossible situation. Who are you going to call? Do you have your prayer team in place? Do you have your prayer partners lined up? Because you're going to face an impossible situation in your life. You're going to get that phone call that's going to shake your foundation to the very core. And when it happens, you need to call somebody to pray for you. That's the power of a small group. Because in a small group, you've already been praying with and praying for people. You already know them. They already know you. They know a lot about your situation. Uh, you, know, you can trust them. And so you've already established that connection. So they're the ones that you can pray when you're facing the impossible. 
And so Daniel told his three friends, pray. And he told them to pray not only that they would be saved, but to pray for everybody else. Daniel's not just concerned about his own skin. He's concerned about his co-workers. And what's interesting in that is, is that these advisors, they're not God-fearing people like Daniel and his three friends. I mean, they're sorcerers and magicians and fortune tellers and psychics and frauds and all this phony stuff that Daniel really doesn't want to have any part of. But Daniel says, I don't care if I disagree with these guys. I don't care if they have a different lifestyle than I do. I don't care if these guys have a different religion than I do. I'm going to pray for because a godly person prays for everybody. I'm not just worried about if I get laid off. I'm worried about everybody who works here. Okay? And so you enlist that prayer support and you pray for everybody. Number five. You pray and you expect God, circle that phrase, expect God to give supernatural help. And by supernatural help, what what I'm referring to here is that God is going to give you help that you don't have yourself. This is going to come outside of your own logic, your own wisdom, your own talent. In fact, this isn't going to happen unless God steps in and does something. You know, you need supernatural help when you're about to file bankruptcy. You need supernatural help when you're facing a divorce. You need supernatural help if you're going to take your business to the next level and you don't have the education, the resources, and the talent to do it. You need God to intervene on your behalf. And so you pray and you expect God to help you. And that's a crucial thing here. But both parts of this are crucial. The first part is God wants you to ask. You know, we kind of have this idea of, you know, God helps those who help themselves. I just need to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I just need to get jump in. You know what? God, that's not how God operates. God's up there in heaven going, ask, ask, ask. I want to help you. You're in an impossible situation. Ask me to help. Why? Because when God helps you in those impossible situations, he gets the glory. He gets the glory. You don't. And that's what it's all about. You know, while Daniel's over here as a POW in uh, Babylon, back in Israel is the prophet Jeremiah. And they're facing a horrific situation over there in, in Israel at that point. And God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33.3, God, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. And that's exactly what Daniel needs. That's exactly what you need in your impossible situations. You need marvelous and wonderful things that you could never figure out on your own. But you've got to call on God if you're going to get those. That's the, that's the condition. You've got to call, you've got to ask him. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we are commanded to ask. Jesus says, ask anything in my name. He says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask, seek, knock, A-S-K. It spells ask, ask. Okay? God wants you to ask. You've got to do it. And, and some of the problems that you're facing in your life that, that you're never going to be able to figure out, that you're going to be stuck with them until you ask God to help you. Because that's the whole point of the problem, is to get you to ask. And that's what Daniel did. He says, I can't figure this out on my own. But the condition when you ask is you've got to expect God to move on your behalf. If you don't expect God to move, now you're not asking in faith. It's got to be in faith. 
You know, God, if you're just telling God what this horrible situation is, but you're not expecting him to solve it, listen, God doesn't respond to whining, complaining, or griping. And that's what you're doing if you're not expecting him to do something about it. But you pray the prayer of faith and expect him to do something, God moves out of heaven and starts doing stuff. James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If you're not going to expect him to answer, I'll just flat out tell you, don't waste your time praying. Okay? But you've got to expect. And you start thanking God as soon as you ask before he's even done anything. You know, when you thank God for answering your quest before he's done it, that's faith. When you thank God after he's answered your request, that's gratitude. And God says we need to have both of them. When we pray to God, we've got to operate in faith and gratitude. Now, that leads us to the sixth thing. And this, is, this, this one, it looks kind of like kind of a throwaway or, uh, what's the deal with that? This is really the pinnacle. This is the key to this whole eight-step process is number six. And that is you worship God. You worship God. In the midst of that impossible situation. Now, a lot of times we think with worship, we, we think of music. And so you may think, okay, I'm facing this impossible situation, and now I just burst out into song? Okay. Well, sure, go ahead. But that's not what worship means. Okay. It's not the only thing it means. Worship means that you're turning your focus and your attention to God. Worship means you are expressing your love, you are expressing your faith, your dependence in God. And so it doesn't just involve music, and it doesn't just involve being here at church. You can worship God anywhere. Worship God at home, in the car, at work, at school, wherever you find yourself. But you can worship God between a rock and a hard place. Okay? And that's what he wants you to do. But when you worship, the deal is you get your focus off of the problem, and you put your focus on God. You get your focus off of the impossible, and you put it on the all-powerful. That's why worship is so crucial. And in this impossible situation, we see Daniel worship God. Verse 19, during the night, God revealed and explained the mystery of the dream to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Circle that word praised. What we learn from Daniel in this situation is how to pray and praise in a crisis. So how do you worship God in a crisis? First, you praise God for who he is. I just praise God for his character. God, you are kind, you are generous, you are gracious, you know everything, you're all-powerful, you're all-present, you're faithful, you're forgiving. You just focus on the attributes and the characters of, character of God. Verse 19, then Daniel praised the God of heaven, saying, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. Notice he prays, and he praises the name of God. What's the big deal about God's name? Why is it that in the Ten Commandments, the top ten things that God gives us, right at the top, is don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain? Why is it in that order that taking the name of God in vain is as bad or even worse than adultery and murder and stealing and lying? Why? And if that's the case, why do some of us still do it? 
Why is it that when we find ourselves in an impossible situation or we find ourselves panicked and afraid, why is it that what pops out of our mouth is the Lord's name in vain? And if that's, if that's what's happening for you, you need to confess that. You need to forsake that. You need to say, God, forgive me. Let me break that habit. Because that is not what you want to be doing with God's name. I mean, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how it starts out. Hallowed be your name. That means honored be your name. It's a word that we speak in honor, not something that we blurt out as frustration. You know, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, I want you to go and reach the whole world for, for Christ, and then I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's the big deal with the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because name represents character. And you say somebody has a good name, it means the guy's legit. You say she's got a good name, it means she's responsible. She does what she says she'll do. It's a matter of character. That re, you know, God's name represents all that he is. And so you praise God's name. You praise his character. That's an act of worship. Second act of worship is you honor God for what he does. You praise God for who he is and you honor him for what he does. It's the difference between character and actions. And so in the second part of Daniel's crisis, we see this is an act of worship. He's he's saying of God, he says he controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness. Though he's surrounded by light. And I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. I mean, even in, in your darkest moments, God can see. God can see what you can't see. God can hear what you can't hear. God can do what you can't do. And so you want to praise God. You want to honor him for what he does. And that leads to the third part of worship. You thank God for helping me. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. For you've given me wisdom and strength. You've told me what I asked for and revealed to me what the king demanded. Wisdom and strength. That's what Daniel needed. That's what you need in your impossible situation. And so you want to thank God. You want to be grateful as God begins to move on your behalf. You worship him with thanksgiving. It's the third part of your worship. And again, that's the pinnacle. Honestly, I think that's the whole reason why this impossible situation has come into your life in the first place, is to push you to the point where you worship God. Number seven, you want to use what God showed me to save others. God wants to save you from your impossible situation, but he doesn't want to just save you. God wants to save the whole world. God wants, to, God wants to save you. He wants to save your family. He wants to save your friends. He wants to save the people you work with. God wants to save your competitors. God wants to save your enemies. Because God never made a person that he doesn't love. God never made a person that Jesus Christ didn't die for. God is not discriminating. He wants to save everybody. For God so loved the world, not just this little group of people. And God's going to save Daniel, but he wants Daniel to use what he's been given to save a bunch of other people too. Verse 24, then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. 
Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. I mean, I just picture Daniel running into that palace to Arioch and saying, Stop! Stop this process. Stop this nonsense. Do not kill these people. I got it. I got the answer. You know, God's not interested in just saving you. He wants everybody saved. He wants everybody to know him. He wants everybody to know his purpose for their life. You know, I pray this every week. I pray it every day right before I step out here on this platform. God, just give me something to show these people that will save them. Give me something that will save them from disaster, save them from conflict, save them from defeat, save, save them from their problems. Show me something that will save other people. And that's what God wants to show you. He wants to show you stuff that you can use to save other people. That's your witness. That's your mission in the world. Daniel runs into the palace. Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is it true? And the king has every reason to be skeptical. He says, is it true? Can you tell me my dream and also what it means? And Daniel's reply to the king's question is the eighth thing that you and I need to do. And that is you point people to God. You don't take credit for this yourself because you didn't think up the solution. It's interesting here, the, the Arioch. Arioch says, I have found one of the captives from Judah who can answer the dream. He didn't find him. Daniel came running in and said, I'm the guy. He's trying to take credit for it here. You know, that's not what Daniel does. Daniel doesn't take credit for him. You know, he, in fact, it's just the opposite. He gives God all the credit. Look what he says here. Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. Daniel says, you're not going to get this answer from men. You're not even going to get this from me. There's no man who can help you. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. You know, the older I get, the more the word but has become my favorite word in the Bible. I mean, you just read through the Bible and you just see these impossible situations. You see these horrific situations. You see these massive problems. Even, even about my own condition, my own life, my own inability to save myself, my own tendency to sin. I mean, just very, very personal stuff about me. And you're just desperate. And then all of a sudden, there it is. But God. But God. There is a God in heaven. I'm in an impossible situation. I'm between a rock and a hard place. I've got alligators up to my eyeballs, but there is a God in heaven. It changes everything. It changes everything. There is a God in heaven. That's what gives us hope. And what does Daniel do? He points people to God. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. And now I'll tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. And you point people to God. And if you, God can do great things to the person who gives God the credit. And if you give God the credit in your impossible situation, God will bless your life in ways that you can't possibly imagine. 
That's what happens. Daniel, look up here. Verse 46, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel. You've got to understand the, the power in those words right there. This is the most powerful man on the planet. This is a pagan king. And what's his response? He throws himself down before Daniel. This has changed everything. And he worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. And you may think, oh, now he's worshipping Daniel. But keep reading. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods. The Lord over kings. A revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this secret. What a testimony on the part of this pagan king. I mean, I mean who's really getting honored here? You know, it's not Daniel, it's God. God's the one being honored. Your God's the real God. Your God's the real deal. Your God's the one who revealed this to you. And here's how the story ends. Verse 48. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. Here's this 17-year-old Jewish kid who is now the governor of Babylon and who's now ruling over this whole court of these magicians and astrologers and all these people. I mean, this is just absolutely amazing. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. I mean, every time you pass the test, God lifts you up. God promotes you. And so I want to I ask you, what's the impossible situation that you find yourself in today? What is the rock and hard place that you're between? What is the thing that has you panicked and afraid? What is it you think, nobody could do what you're asking me to do? This is impossible. And I want to encourage you to do what Daniel did. Work this process in your life and give God the glory when he does amazing remarkable things for you let's pray together would you just pray this prayer in your heart and mind would you say Jesus I just ask you to save me to save me from my sin to save me from hell save me from myself from my hurts habits and hang ups but God beyond that I ask you to save me to be who you made be to be. And God, whatever impossible situation I find myself in, I know you're greater. And so I want to shift my focus off the impossible and shift it onto the all-powerful. And I ask you to help me and to work your plan for my life and to not just save me, but to save my family, save my friends, save my coworkers. God, I ask you to save the world the people at work, the people at the grocery store, the people at the soccer field, God, let this impossible situation in my life become such a miracle that they have to say, there's a God in heaven. God, we don't ask this out of our own worth. We don't ask this out of our own value. We don't ask this for ourselves. God, we ask this in the name that is above every other name. We ask this in the name of the one that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, 
We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.